podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's on Anvil Index. I'm Jim Boardman and I'm with Jay Reed. And we've just had one of these enforced breaks from football again, the international break. Um I mean I'm, I'm sure if you're patriotic you might you might really get into the international break, but most people I know it's the kind of thing that you'll you might watch a game if you've got five minutes to spare or whatever or an hour to spare. But you sort of you know, it's not the main event, is it? So um We've been starved again of football, just as we were doing well. Um, but it's all coming back this weekend, and of course, that time in between the games, there was um, you know plenty of rumours going around, plenty of stuff happening. Because um, this is Liverpool, there's always something happening with this club and in this city. Um, last time we spoke, Jay, I think it was probably about a week ago. We recorded it; it only came out a little bit later. Um, we weren't sure what might happen with uh, how England play, how Liverpool players might work out. No, actually we did know. We'd heard that Trent wasn't going to be involved and of course um Henderson isn't one of ours now and that's kind of usually my limit for watching England games. Um but I think at least some of our other players have had a bit of fussy, haven't they? Um I heard Gatpo did okay and um Alisson maybe didn't play as much as he wanted, but um international break, much to talk about from it for you? Uh no. <laughs> uh, I, I, had a, I had a short holiday a uh, stag do oh, which obviously tends to involve more things of drinking um, and we had the pleasure of being serenaded twice uh, because England football were on and England rugby were on on Saturday night okay. um, by by the delightful uh, folk who were also on holiday um, yeah which was lovely Um and I bet loads of them who was who were cheering for the rugby don't even watch rugby normally. They probably didn't have any clue what's going on. No, no, I I had no idea. With all due respect, to people who do watch <laughs> rugby, um, I have not a clue what goes on. Um, I'm more an American football guy, um, but I have not seen any sustained football. I've seen a couple of highlights on the likes of Twitter. Obviously, you know the, the England Scotland game took place a few nights ago, um, and. And they've seen a couple of goals, um, basically because it just went like you know social media overload um, for the likes of Harry Maguire scoring on goal via Andy Robertson, uh, which was comedy gold. Um, Robertson sort of making an error in the first half, uh, allowing Jude Bellingham a goal, and you know that, that Jude Bellingham being you know the great savior of English football now. Um, and you know he's a talented kid. We we wanted him. Frightly so, but you know, I think you know we've, we've said before if it was one Jude Bellingham, or we've ended up with the four lads we have, and the midfield being in the shape it is now, or those lads who'd all gone plus Jude Bellingham, I think we'd be in a worse off um, team all round. So you know, we we had to cut our cut a cloth accordingly. Um, 
But yeah, it's back to the real business now that, you know, the proper football for all of about, I think it's four weeks or something stupid like that until there's another one of these international malarkey situations going up. Um, sadly, that's what happens in a season when there's an international tournament to be to be played at the end of it next summer that they have to basically stop the, the decent football for this pandering international football three or four times within the season. So we are where we are, but I think we've got, I think it's six games or something like that across this small period now because uh, European football starts domestic cup football starts so yeah it, the, the appetite's west um, I, I did see a comparison table actually for for the league um, last season's first international break was after six games and Liverpool uh, had registered nine points from them six games and after this, this season's first international break of four games we've registered 10 so we're already slightly ahead of the eight ball there um, yeah. with a couple of games in hand which you know oh, it's a long way to go 34 games left in the league but it it does you know give you a little bit of optimism and hope that you know maybe we've went in for a better season than, than what we just experienced so yeah let, let's get going with it yeah and um, I was just thinking like the, 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 the plays that's come back as well I wonder how many of them are thinking like, let's just get going with it because I know. I mean, they are patchy. He's a good break for them and stuff. But I'm sure. I mean, like when it's a tournament, you kind of like you get your head down. There's a tournament. You have got your training stuff beforehand, and then you've got two, three, four weeks away, whatever it is for the tournament itself. And you sort of, you know, you're fully focused on you. But you, your bread and butter's at home. Uh, you know, with your with your home club, with your own team, with your club, and that must be what what they look forward to the most. Um, to me, that's where I think it is. And saw some headlines saying that Allison maybe. Um, facing a battle to get himself back into the Brazil side, you know, it's sort of all, all end of the world stuff for him, but <clears throat> only because Edison was picked in front of him by the new Brazil manager, but I'm not thinking end of the world, personally, I'm thinking you know, leave him out for a couple more games, you know, sorry, feel sorry for him and stuff but leave him out a couple more games to the point where he goes, nah, I've decided I'm going to retire from international football now because the thing Liverpool are facing now is that it's not just whether the play is even played in these games it's how much travel they've had to do how much time they've had so we've had players coming back late because they've been playing on the other side of the world um, in different kind of conditions and it's going to have an effect on us for the next game um, which is Wolves and I know we've seen players coming back in dribs and drabs but you know you're always worrying as a manager I'm sure what what kind of state they're going to come back in how tired are they Um, it's not just about injuries and from Liverpool's point of view they've just put the squads in for the two sort of main tournaments where you've got to name your squads I don't assume you have to do for the domestic cups but you definitely do have to do for the Premier League and for the European competitions and I think you alluded to it as well just before we were speaking there's like a load of fuss I mean talking to goalies load of fuss because one player has missed out on the Europa squad um, and that's one of the goalies we've actually got three keepers named but um, one player's missing out but it seems to me that, you know, there's these quotas, you've got to have so many players of you know, with so much of a background. I think in Europe you've got to have four fully homegrown players and four who were home, you know, grown in your home association kind of thing, grown, making sound like plants. But, you know, once you sort of made sure you ad- adhere to that, then you've got your limits of how many players who aren't from that sort of uh, type are available. You've got to you've got to make some choices and well, there's been a fuss that we actually you know, left one goalkeeper out. And I'm not sure. I mean, for one thing, if there's ever a problem with keepers, I'm pretty sure you're allowed to have like an emergency change put in. You know, if you lose all your keepers, 
they're not going to ask you to go and get someone out your under 13s team um, they're going to let you sort something out so not another storm in a social media teacup it sounds like to me this is yeah come on uh, the guy in question is Adrian yep. so you know um, the guy who you know many people were probably scratching their heads thinking you know why did we resign this guy because you know okay he's, he's featured for us a couple of times during his his stint at Liverpool and albeit yeah he, he won the Super Cup he stepped in in a few games and, and done well but then he's stepped in a few games and you know showing that you know he is a third choice keeper and he's pretty much coming to the end of his playing days Um one could only imagine he's being re-signed as, you know, a presence around the training ground and being available, you know, to assist with the development of young keepers. Um, which in that case it makes me just think just sign him as a coach, you know, or the, a development coach, you know yeah. what I mean? Um but the fact that it, it managed to make headlines that Adrian was left out and Bendor, a young, talented seventeen Scot seventeen year old Scottish winger had made it, you know, it it was yeah, I'm very much a, a storm in a in a in a very weird social teacup, but it, it's the right decision. Um, you know, Alison uh, Kelleher, I think the young lad called Yaros, that are our keepers for the Europa League. And what what people have failed to notice is you have to nominate a squad for the Europa League of I think it's twenty five. Um, but you can also use players out of youth system, so you know you. People will be eagerly eyed noticed that I don't think Kwanzaa is registered on that list. But because he came through our youth team developments and he's an English lad, he can be, you know, played at any time. Jordan, like you're you're not restricted to those 25 players. You can play younger, um, talented players who might not be on that initial list. And I would like to hope and think that maybe is the plan, um, to include a few of the young lads, um, you know, because. With all due respect to the Europa League, we're going to have a little chat about it later on, but the, the quality of opposition isn't what we've been used to in European football as of late in terms of the, the Champions League group stages. So we, we should be fine to play a rotated squad. And by that, I mean, you know, we could make 11 changes and maybe just feature a couple of the, the bigger names on the bench as a sort of break glass emergency, might need to go and get you know, a goal or so if needed. But we should have more than enough in, in our in our ranks to, to get through that group comfortably. Um and and see some young players who we probably would only be entitled to see at, you know, the Carabob Cup or you know, FA Cup early round and, you know, after one or two games you may, may not see them again. There was a few lads we spoke about during the summer who who featured um pre season friendlies, the likes of McConnell and Bobby Clark and be impressed so hopefully you know there's a platform there for those lads to to earn some game time and you never know you know it, it might only be you know half a dozen games between now and Christmas for those lads um, across the, the Carabao and the Europa League but that could then mean come January when that famous transfer window flings back open again and, and the cold breeze whistles in <laughs> of players that these these lads might be a target for, for lower league uh, clubs who, who are thinking, you know, that we've seen them and they can do a job for us, and you get them out and you play six months of men's football on a regular basis, and it'll do their development the world of good. So it's it it's a two way street in terms of how this can work for us. It's not just 
you know, you have to play the kids and whatever. It can you can play them, expose them to football, and then expose them to maybe you know in six months down the line to to more football at a different club and and utilize that loan system because I, I always find that we we always seem to send players who we probably don't really want on a loan, but maybe we don't send them too many out there to develop and come back. You know, we've, we've seen a couple in the likes of Harvey Elias and Tyler Morton go to Blackpool, eh, Blackburn, sorry, and, and and do well and impress. But, you know, we, we don't tend to see the loan market utilised where we'll send a, a young boy off to develop and, and get games and then in a year or two's time he comes back and, and he's in the first team. Um, I think we, we could probably do a bit more sharper in that market, especially considering that the financial operations of how we do transfers is probably the best way to put it. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, um... I mean, Yaros, he's actually, I looked at them, thought he's this, and I remember he's been with us a while. Um, he signed for us in 2017, but we mainly, he came into the academy then. He was 20, he's 22 now. Um, still a young lad, still, I'm, I'm assuming he's not on the B list because he's been named, but he's only just too old to be sort of classed as one of the B list players. And he's, he's been away. He's been around. He's been to St. Pat's over in Ireland. He's been to Notts County. He's been to Stockport County. Um, and he's played at sort of young young levels for the Czech Republic by the looks of it. So, um, you know, a decent play for the future. But as you say, get him out on loan, get him some experience. Because if anyone's ever been to like a reserve game and been to a, a proper home game kind of thing, these two worlds apart, they're just not not like each other at all. Um, it's not just that there's different plays in front of you. I mean, days gone by when I used to when I used to watch the Reds regularly back in the eighties. If you saw a reserve game, then you'd have a few old old uh, few of the older players in there as well, the sort of fringe players. They were playing in there to keep the fitness up. wasn't You know, it wasn't academies, then. it literally was reserves. But now um, it's all young lads. They're obviously sort of playing against other players of the same sort of age as them, same sort of abilities and stuff as them. But they're also it's not just that they're not playing against the sort of experienced guys. It's that. They're also not playing with that sort of cauldron behind them. Um, you know, you play a game at Anfield, and as much as there's a sympathy from Liverpool fans to a young lad playing early, you know, early days for his Anfield career, you know, we always sort of go easy on young lads who are just starting out. But there's still that kind of make a slight mistake, and there's like ten thousand voices right next to you going, uh, even if the other forty thousand, other forty thousand voices are keeping quiet. There's still that sort of pressure that that you just can't get in academy games. So if we can play them in the other competitions, the domestics and the Europa, that's great. But as as you say, I agree, we've got to, you know, we've got to sort of blood them in somehow. Um, 
And I, I mean, I always think of Robbie Fowler as the big example of what happens when you give a young lad a try. But that's a big gamble to take when you've got, you know, good quality in front of them in the pecking order. You know, but So if you've not got that situation, then maybe what you've got to do is... Um, is get him out on loan and get him hopefully to clubs that have the same kind of philosophy. I think that's been one issue I've thought in the past few sometimes with us is that um, I'm not going to name any names and it's you know going back for years that there'll be times when we send a player out somewhere and they're going to be basically playing you know something Roy Hodgson would be proud of or something you know something that's that's not us and that's the hard bit um, you know and we're not the kind of club that just goes out and buys another twelve clubs all around the world are we a so called feeder club so we can kind of. Um, manipulate where all our transfer kitties go um, you know not naming any names of any other clubs who might do that but yeah it's a challenge to just get these youth players through and, and if you don't get it right you do you do lose out on, on potential development for them but um, on the whole I can't think of many young lads that we've had that have left the club as young lads you know left the club you know maybe people were saying it's too early I can't believe we've let them go I can't think of that many to have come back kind of to haunt us you know there just aren't that many um, I think some people thought Connor Cody might be one but even Everton <laughs> like he's, been. <laughs> he, he's currently doing radio appearances I think for talk sport which kind of tells you you know how, we, how his career's panned out I think he went to Leicester um, but yeah he's, he's lost a few social media posts you know that of that realm of seeing his, his Connor Cody working for, for talk sport which yeah I don't think we're going to regret that one no, I'm. Uh, I've, I've not had any sleep this nice about that one. I mean, fair play to him. You know, you you've got to do your best and all of that. But um, I mean, sometimes what happens as well is I think mean, the the young players they kind of peak young, and off they go. But we can produce good players who are young and get them into the first team, and get them to do well. Trent being one of them, um, the the most obvious one. Um, it's not that long ago he would have actually been. Much I've not checked his age, but he doesn't feel like five minutes ago that he would have been classed as one of the B players. Um, I mean, Harvey Elliott and Stefan Basicic are also on that list, so they're not in the squad of 23 or whatever that was named, but they're available to us. So, you know, there's there's, there's plenty of options there for that cup. Um, thinking ahead a little bit to this weekend and Wolves, um, I'm talking about young players. I mean, I was thinking, if we've got a young forward, it's going to be hard for him to get into our starting lineup at the minute because we've got so many decent, top-quality, expensive uh, luxury forwards if you like that most other clubs would love to get their hands on no matter what their fans might say when they're having a little go at them here and there but so you know young strikers harder to break through the way the midfield's gone finally finally we can maybe say it's going to be a bit harder for any other young midfielders to break through and there's a few young ones in there now in and around that maybe not getting as many games as they'd like this season the way it pans out but looks like the defence could be the place to be if you're a young lad for Liverpool and you're hoping for your chance to get through um, this weekend um, I'm going to miss Van Dijk again I think last time we recorded we weren't sure how heavily the FA were going to come down on him for being annoyed at the decision that he'd made a week after making a bad decision that was overturned but um, apparently he's, he's bad language and complaining and an extra one match ban and I think it was a 100 grand fine um, I'm guessing the fines go based on your wages so um, if you really really board you could probably work out what his wages really are from that um, maybe that's a week's wages maybe it's a day's wages who knows pretty sure it's more like a week's than a day's but um, that means of course at the back four then we've kind of had to do a reshuffle because automatic first back four first choice back four you think of is obviously Trent, Robbo 
Virgil and I would say Canate. That's my back four. Um, but we've got Trent's possibly missing because he's still, he missed the England game and he wasn't in training from what I've heard. Then you've got um, Virgil missing. So what's the back four going to be? And who's going to be on the bench? Oh, uh, Jesus. Um, well, I'll take that one. So back four is <laughs> all being well, touching a lot of wood. Um, Robertson, you'd imagine Matip and Gomez are going to be in there given, you know, they, they played the last game in Spell, both didn't do international football. Yeah. Um, no obvious reports of any sorts of niggles or knocks for them. Um, excuse me. And I think they were bitching in training today. So those two lads. And I think Kanate was also in training today. So, yeah. Taken from that, you would imagine we are going to, you know, shift Gomez to right back and put Kanate in there next to Matip. Um, Bench wise, um, I think Young Kwanza will be back on the bench. Um, he's come on for a couple of guest appearances and, and looked very much at, at home um, at this level. Which, you know, we speaking of young players going on loan, he went out, out to Bristol uh, Rovers, I think it was last season, uh, which is down in League One. So he, he's made a bit of a jump there. You know, it, you know, naturally he probably would have thought, you know, he done, done League One. Let's get the lad out in the Championship this year and see if he can step up a level and, and that's a very good league um, in terms of competitiveness each week um, and then maybe next year would have probably been you know on most people's charts that the year you come into the squad but you know he seems to have made the jump and, and he looks he looks the part so far you know with a couple of couple of hairy moments but he's a young kid those things will happen but on the ball he looks very calm and composed Um and I think it's just a Greek scouser. I think that's all we've got left in defence. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, so so let's just hold fingers crossed, toes and everything else that there's no defensive issues in terms of um, injuries that pop up over the weekend because to say we're down to the bare bones is is an overstatement. Um, you know, and it does reiterate, you know, what we were speaking of all summer where we thought but probably a touch light in defence. Um you know that we haven't actually got any cover for Trent, be that I know a nominal right back, or well, you you, you can't re- replicate what he does because what he does with a football and in the game is is pretty unique. But you, we don't have a nominal right back. The ones we did have, uh, Calvin Ramsey went along to Preston, and I think he's still suffering from injury. And young Connor Bradley um, against loans. Um, had a pretty impressive time again in League One with Bolton last season um, he come back into the squad and I think by all intents and purposes he was you know kept around for the reasons of being a, a backup two trends with probably certain competitions like the Europa and Carabao in mind but he picked up the knock in the, in the summer and um, I think you know, the, the, there's not actually been any clarification about what this injury is, but he's still out. He's not being been seen in training and something like that. So one can only imagine he's the best part of a few weeks away because he's had no preseason at all. Um, yeah, it's it, it's worrying. Um, but next week, you know, hopefully, fitness permitting, we're all back to normal. Um, and and Van Dyke's back with a hundred grand less out of his pocket. Um, even though I, I did I did see a, a post selected fines compared to Van Dyke's 100k um, 
So, you know, just last season alone, Mitrovic um, received a multiple game ban um, for pushing and verbally abusing the referee, but was only his in the pocket for 75k. Um, then there was a lad um, racially abusing another player, and that was just 60k. Um, you know, take it back, that was 2020, sorry. Racist chants from Millwall fans in 2019, a poultry £10,000 to the club. Um, you know, and, and Suarez back in 2011 was, was hit with 40k for racism. So it does make you consider the, you know, the, the mindset of DFA is, you know, if, if the referees or the Premier League, whoever it was responsible, I think it was DFA for this one, um, you know, is referees that much of a protective breed that, you know, things such as racism or whatever is is not deemed as, you know, hurtful? You know, with anything, it's much more hurtful to, to a player than, you know, a referee has been doing the, the, their job for, for a long time and probably had a hell of a lot more abusive things directed in their, you know, their way. Um, not only from the players but from the crowd as well and it, it not saying it's right um, but it kind of naturally comes with the territory of, of that role um, and I'm sure Van Dyke probably gave him a piece of his mind but you know emotions run high in a game and stuff like that and, and things will be said and I'm sure Van Dyke afterwards probably you know went and apologised for such colourful language but you know I think I think the, uh, the FA yeah trying to make an example of me um, you know I'm sure there's been other instances and there probably will be this weekend as, as the Premier League returns where the player will probably be sent off and the referee will receive a mouthful of abuse and I'm not holding out much hope for the 100k fine being slapped down on their wrist so yeah, yeah. once again the inconsistency strikes yeah that's it it's that word all the time isn't it inconsistency I mean I know from stuff I've read, because I've been bored enough in the past to actually read through some of these written reasons, which are like, it's like listening to the transcripts of some court case or something. They take it that seriously and they go into that much detail, which, okay, that's fair enough if it's some really disgusting racial abuse or some, you know, long-standing, you know, three years of betting offences or something like that. I get that. But some of these, I'm not sure. I think they do go a little bit over the top, but I think wages do come into it to some extent. But you're right. I mean, even if you sort of said, right, wages come into it to some extent, and maybe there's been a, a, a knuckling down on some kind of offences, you know, say since Suarez did what he did, I think they've kind of made it more and more. Um, you get more of, if you did that today, he would get much more of a punishment. But you're right. I mean, I can imagine a situation where a player punches someone, uses some racial insult at him as he's on the floor, and then as he gets sent off, tells the referee to go away in, in some strong worded way. And he'd get the biggest part of his punishment to be for telling the referees to do one, um, because they are the like they're just they're just soft and um, we need, we haven't I mean we didn't really get a chance to talk about it last time. But Howard Webb had selectively released a few bits of footage, hadn't he, of um, of what went on when players were getting into trouble, and he picked the Van Dyke one, um, you know, the mic at uh, the mics of the referees and how the conversation went on between VAR and so on. Um, but again, that even that was just selectively, wasn't it? I mean, I wonder how we'd feel if we said to him, you know, let us let us have a vote. Let's have a vote. Which ones do we want to hear? Which incidents do we want to hear? I mean, every week, let's do it every week. Every weekend, let's get, instead of just goal of the week, incident of the week, we all vote for the incident of the week. We want to hear 
the mics from the most and get explanations of the most because there's bound to be something. But then on the other hand, I'm thinking, God, we talk about referees too much. Um, they just they're just taking over far too much. Um, you know, I'm not even sure. I've not looked who we've got this weekend, but you just know if it's one of those on the list, we'll just be we'll just be gutted again, won't we? Because you just know it's going to interfere. But I also think the other thing about that Van Dyke fine. There's a little element of, um, you know, the FA needing to pay the bills because McAllister got off with his red card the week before. And, you know, I'm sure the FA had to pay the bill to the independent committee that did that. Um, I can give you the information on, go on, said officials for this weekend, if if that is to your liking. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so officials for this week's game against Wolves uh, referee is Michael Oliver. Oh yeah, Marvel. which you know, once famed as England's greatest referee, is fell into the the trap of you know the rest of them. Um, VAR, Mister Paul Tierney, yet again, yet again, we have Paul Tierney on VAR. So I, I have a, I have a small theory on the fact that you know Mister Tierney has issues with Klopp and Liverpool. May that be, you know, conspiracies made up by Liverpool fans? I don't think so. I think it's fact that there is an issue between that gentleman in and a black t-shirt who referees the game and our club and our manager. So instead of appointing them to manage the game and directly be responsible for influencing things on the field, let's just put them behind a monitor. So we've, you know, a couple of situations pop up that's how we can have a have an influence and because he's sat in a in a cosy, you know, an office in, in Stockley Park with a with a coffee in hand then, you know, Jürgen Klopp can't represent us. The the other thing as well is though they always hide behind the excuses. There's this thing Howard Webb's come out with where he doesn't want the VAR to be re refereeing games, which is basically a way of saying I don't want VAR at all. I really don't want it. I want our referees to be classed as infallible the way that we always used to class them as infallible, even though everyone knew they weren't. And then, but that brings more inconsistency because what what is you know what what is the rule? What is the limit? What's the threshold for saying you don't want to re-referee a game? And that basically gives them something to hide behind. So, so if Tierney sees something this weekend that goes against us, and um, really could have said to the ref, "Go and have another look. Go and get on the monitor," he can sit back and say, "Nah," because I don't want to re-referee the game. But at the same time, if he sees something that aids us and helps us, you know, something that was in our favour. He might well go to the ref and say, "Go and have another look at that because you might want to look at this again." You know, there's this thing, and and in reality, the, the VAR aren't re-refereeing the game; they're just telling the referee to go and have another look and make their own decision themselves. You're not, you're basically saying to them, "Look, you only had your own eyes played at full speed from the angle you were at to see what happened. Why don't you look at one of these twenty other angles we've got here?" Um, in case you didn't see it the way it was, because it's such a big decision, it's a pivotal moment in the game, go and have another look. But Howard Webb doesn't want him to do that, but you know that if it suits Tierney to do it, he will. Because, I mean, I'm not going to put any cash on it, because no, no, I'm not very good at um, betting, you see, it always goes against me, but maybe I should actually. But if I put cash on it, Tierney to do something at the weekend that we that we don't like, that is controversial and is inconsistent with other things that have gone on, there's a guarantee, whether it's a major or minor thing, I'm sure he'll get a mention in every match report that comes out for this weekend's game. Yeah, I, I can clearly see that. Um, you know, it, it's not a wild theory. Um, 
and it will probably be a, a situation or instance which will probably occur within our game and the absolute opposite will probably occur and an opposite decision in another game or even that day or the next day or the following weekend and yeah the, the, you mentioned that the mean where there's inconsistency we've, we've had this a number of times and don't want to give the 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 people at the PGO and well and referees anymore air time but you know while there's inconsistency there's always going to be such anger and we all we all know the human and the art as a tool to try and assist and try and get inconsistent like decisions for you know the, the old clear and obvious shouts but it's clear and obvious it's not working and it's clear and obvious that the fellows who are doing it aren't up to scratch um, which is probably the best way to to end the, the referee section yeah. because otherwise you, you end up in a rabbit hole um, but let's just hope that you know we've got the quality on the pitch that Mr. Taney doesn't have to you know get his little evil fingers on the mouse and, and the microphone and, and influence our game in any way that will affect the outcome of the result that we've we've got enough there to, to see the game to bed with 11 versus 11 and natural football ability should should see us through that one comfortably Hello I'm here to annoy you I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index we don't just have the Anfield Index stuff we've got EPL Index as well which covers the entirety of the Premier League and we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. I can't, have, can't imagine ever there being like a, like Liverpool maybe started it all off. We've been Liverpool and then all these other documentaries fly on the walls. Like there's the Wrexham thing, there was the City thing on Amazon and there's loads of other, loads of other ones of these fly on the walls. I can't imagine there being one done uh, um, the PGMOL because it would just reveal too many secrets but I also think and my last word on it for now is that when they say they do still say each other go and have another look at that incident because I reckon they do a little highlights clip when they meet each other on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning wherever it is and they're all fist bumping each other when they really screwed some team up for something they shouldn't have done and made it sound like it was all legit but anyway maybe maybe give them a bit of leeway because maybe they're not all horrible but it feels like it and it's time for a change but we'll just change the topic a little bit because we are playing Wolves next and yeah a bit threadbare at the back a bit of worrying about who can come on if if anyone breaks down in training this week or has an issue on the day in the game but rest of the team though um, and I'm not sure what kind of Wolves team we're going to face but I think Klopp's got that kind of decision those tough decisions to make that are the kind of tough decisions every manager wants you know a bit of a cliche but um, he's spoiled for choice um, what kind of lineup he goes with might depend on what kind of back four he puts out because I would imagine that if Trent's not playing he's going to want more creativity from his midfielders than maybe you know 
<laughs> well, you'd expect him to want more creativity, but he's going to have to take that into account that he's not going to have the extra added bonus of having Trent coming in from the back and, and adding more firepower and more, you know, more ability to, to more magic, basically. So, um, I'm not really sure, even if everyone's fit, who our midfield is. I mean, we we can assume it's probably always going to be a three. Can we? Can we even assume that? Uh, I think yes. In in terms of nominal lineup of, you know, position of midfielders, but how they line up on the field, um, could possibly be different. You know, but that's been there's been instances in games where you know if Trent's been starting, he's actively taken up a midfield role or position on the field. Um, but I think our last game against Aston Villa um, in the league, they'll roll it back all of them two weeks, which seems like an absolute age ago. Um, he he was nominally in field, but more reserved in, in his actual position. So, you know, like it was highlighted on, you know, the glorious match of the day uh, analysis that he was, you know, sort of playing centre-back, which he wins. It was sort of in possession. He was running into a, a central position and Massip was was coming around the outside and to, you know, cover that area of the field just in case, you know, possession was overturned and we had more of a, a solid line of four ish, you know, it depend on how Robertson was rolling up and down on the left hand side. But instead of Trent going directly into a field in front of what would have been Joe Matip on the day and basically exposing that whole area of the field where he, he would be as a right back. Um, you know, it, it's a tactical tweak, but it, it's it just makes us look a lot more solid in terms of it within possession of the ball. Um, I would imagine if we don't have Trent, we probably do go with Gomez, uh, and it'll become a more natural flatter four um, to start with. But I think the midfield, uh, Dominic Sabozlai played for Hungary twice, but I think his last game was last Sunday so he's had a, a sufficient rest um, I'm not sure on Curtis Jones exploits for international football um, this this international window but he excelled against uh, Villa in his first start of the season I would imagine those two lads come in um, and then that leaves a nominal third midfield and slot available I think we'll go with uh, Endo because McAllister's just travelled back from Bolivia where he played the game at 12,000 feet and yeah. anybody who knows you know enough about international football knows that's the highest um, international football ground in the world and playing at altitude and he played I think the best part of about 80 minutes um, takes its toll on his body and then not just to factor in the you know the altitude game but then a significant flight back from you know and the middle of South America all the way back to, to Europe um, will will be taken into account along the side the likes of Luis Diaz and uh, Darwin Nunes who played for their countries um, Darwin I think is a question mark because of he was only played 45 minutes and there was a slight muscle issue which was mentioned by Bielsa um, and Alisson as you said earlier on didn't play so you know th- these lads have to take in fatigue and, and travel into accounts and jet lag and stuff so I, I think the the South American um, trio who did play but probably not feature from the beginning against Wolves but will be on the bench and Alisson naturally goes back into goal um, and then up front you know he, as I've mentioned was spoiled with Richard so I've, I've said two would be bench so that leaves Salah Gapo and Jota and 
Um, you said at the very beginning, you know, Gapo had a had a fruitful international break and managed to get himself a goal or two, and and Joss had also. So those lads are coming back in, you know, in high confidence and high spirits. So yeah, we 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 should be rolling with them, and you know, should things need changing, we we will have the attacking weapons on the bench and the midfield options. Including uh, new signing Ryan Graffenberg, who stayed behind, much to the disgust of Michael Rasgett and Ronald Koeman um, for the Dutch team. You know, a lad who's barely played much football in in the last twelve months at Bayern Munich has has gone to a new club and wants to settle in and get his you know his fitness and his form up to scratch. You know, makes sensible career choice to move club, but doesn't want to join the national team for a friendly and and a, a group game in the Euro qualifiers because. You know, he, he's trying to get himself motivated. Surely, you know, I'm, I'm an international manager will say, "Okay, well, we'll we can do without you, but get yourself, get yourself in fitness, get yourself in form, and we'll have a better player." You know, in the long run. But yeah, short termism thinking from from the Dutch travellers there. Well, wasn't it? Um, wasn't it? I mean, I might have misread something. I could have sworn I read that it was the um, under twenty ones he was going to be playing for. Anyway, if he was out there, it wasn't. Yeah, the yeah, first team. So it was Michael Rasiger. You know, so if you if you want if you've got this player that, I mean, the, the whole thing about having an under twenty one side as an international, you know, as a nation, you've got your nations under twenty ones. Is you're trying to find the talent of the future because the ideal world is that you find you know eleven players in that lot that that replace the stuff you've got in, in your uh, senior setup now. That maybe by the time your next tournament comes along, half a dozen of them. Have, have shown such progress that they can go and take part in, you know, in with the big boys, so to speak. And I mean, we've just talked about young lads not getting the experience that they need when they're playing for the reserves, for, for the club reserve team, for the club under twenty one team, or wherever. Because you know, you're playing lesser teams, lesser quality, in lesser places with less pressure and all the rest of it. And it just doesn't compare to playing first team football. And it must be the same at international level. They've got a lad here who's going to miss. You know, one international break, so we can go and bed in with his teammates. Uh, and I'm not being arrogant or anything saying this, but one of the biggest clubs in the world for a chance to play in one of the most exciting teams in the world. Who I'm sure play football. There are a lot of Dutch, you know, aficionados of the game. Would you know love the kind of football we play as well. So it just seems like you say it's just short termism. It's just in a way that is arrogance from them. I mean, if I'd heard that coming from. Um, some England under twenty one manager about you know Harvey Elliott or someone like that. Um, I'd be fuming with them and thinking, you know, who do you think you are? Because it's just I mean, it's one of my frustrations. I think with the game is that you know players are, players can be patriotic and I get that, and it is a big thing to play for your country. And the idea of being in a World Cup final and getting a winners' medal, even lifting that trophy, I get all of that. But most of the time, you know. It's boring games being played on a November Wednesday in some far off land, which hardly anybody can be bothered to watch. And it just doesn't cut it compared to playing for your club and being involved in the club competitions, in my opinion. Um, and I just think the clubs, the, the country coaches, forget that sometimes. Maybe, maybe they're just a bit worried about their own future to some extent as well. But I thought that was personally, I thought that was brilliant from from the new lad because you know it, it just shows his intent and. I'm sick of sort of clubs, uh, countries putting pressure on players. I'm sick of it where we've seen, um, I've seen it in the past where players are being forced to travel to prove that they've got a really dodgy injury that could probably do without them travelling. It's it's yeah. just you know, it it's baffling that you know 
I wouldn't have been surprised had, had the the phone call taken place of when Trent went down injured against Villa, and like you know he would have had a scan a day or two later and revealed the extent of the injury that you know Gareth and the boys would have been well. Well, let's have a look at that ourselves. Let's have our doctors have a look at it. You know because you know we we don't trust the lads who see you day in day out. We want to we want you know Mister Smith who works for the FA to have a look at that and then basically go. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, let's let's put the lad through, you know, transport or whatever, or you know, situations for countries who, who are abroad. You know, like imagine, uh, let's just say, um, uh, Hungary call up the Bosley and they say, hey, let, let's have you on a, a two and a half, three hour flight over to Hungary so our doctor can have a look at it, and you know, all all that you know bodily effect if he had as you know an injury on his body. You know the the altitude up and down the plane or whatever, and then then to just go, oh yeah, so it is, so it is. Off you go back back home, and you know uh, you're not doing the player any good. You're not doing the injury any good. You know, you're massaging an ego is basically what you're doing. Uh, which I tend to tend to think that's all international football is these days. You know, it's it's about massaging egos and not not to delve into to England too much, but you know, there's a lot of stuff going on about like Harry Maguire and all that business at the moment and. You know the, the the comedy show that that he is um, on the football field, but you know it's it, it's massaging egos. You know, and it's creating stories and headlines and whatever. You know, he shouldn't have been picked because the manager said I'm only going to pick players who are playing regularly for the clubs. Well, he's not, so he shouldn't have been picked. And then you know you, you toss him in the deep end in a, in a hostile environment. It's it's not a surprise. You know, he he seemed a bit rusty, and the end result being an own goal, but. Yeah, I can't wait for the real football. I would all I, say. Yeah, I I wouldn't be sort of asking can we have Harry Maguire on loan if our defense was like you know we've talked about our defense being down to the bare bones, but you know I, I'd rather have um, <laughs> I'd rather have Klopp get his boots on to be in all honesty and play at the back four than than have Harry Maguire. But the other thing that was funny about that was um, or not funny, however you want to look at it, is all that stuff from Henderson about one of the big reasons for him leaving was this big hint that. Um, he'd been told he might not play as much, and that was bad for him because you know um, there's a there's a big tournament coming up, and he's thinking about his England place, and maybe he'll not get his place if he's not playing regularly. Well, you know, Gareth's not bothered. He doesn't have to play if your face fits. It doesn't matter how bad you. Is he should have had a chat with his mate Calvin down at Manchester. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I think I think Pep's probably run on the field more than Calvin has in the past twelve months. So. You know, it doesn't seem to matter if your face fits, and let's be honest, Jordan's face certainly fits for England. So, yeah, it was certainly one of them lame excuses. I think you know the kids would say um, as to reasons why he did what he did and said what he said. Yeah, very lame. And um, Wolves, I don't think I don't know. I've not. I don't know much what's going on with them other than they've had players going on strike because they want to leave, and um, you know, there's always kind of changes seem to be going on. Uh, manager level and stuff um, and the only other thing I can think about with Wolves is before the game they have one of these stupid sort of pyro shows don't they that they think they forget that it's a football game kind of thing um, just to try and get people excited um, I don't know what it is I just seem to hate playing them because we have we have moments in games where we look where I get worried about us more against that team than maybe some of the others who are if you like outside the top six maybe then um, have they have you have not seen much about them this year have they made any improvements? Because I've just heard about departures more than anything. Come, anyone coming in? Um, I would say as a, as a squad, they're, they're much less um, stronger than what they were. 
um, you know, notable names such as Neves has left and, you know, off he went to Saudi. You wonder what his reasons were. Yeah. Uh, probably to get in the Portugal team, I'd imagine. Um, you know, Mateus Nunes. The only way. Mateus <laughs> Nunes, um, yeah, wasn't happy. Spats has done me out well on strike. Um, you know, probably. <laughs> Probably just wanted out in the nicest way possible, but you know, his agent's Jorge Mendes, so you know, he always gets a pay packet. So we brought him to the club and then shift them on a year or two later. Um, you know, another pay packet. Um, off he went to City on the last few days in the transfer window. Um, they sold off Nathan Collins to Brentford. I remember earlier on the window under the you know, key player in their defense. Um, everyone's favorites. You know, Barton Ram up front, who was slightly overweight, Diego Costa, I think, has gone now. Um, I don't know where he's at the top, maybe the chippy. Um, <laughs> and I don't think they've brought that much in. They've brought a couple of players, but I'm hand on heart, I couldn't tell you, you know, anything about these lads. You know, a couple of lads connected to Portugal or whatever, because that's just the MO for Wolves. Um, I would say that the, the weaker, the probably. And that it's to to be down in the bottom bottom echelons of the table. Um just having a quick look through their their form this season. Uh open open day of the season, uh lost to one to United, then they were Howard at home four one by Brighton. Uh, they did have a man's turns off in that game. They went to the mighty Goodison Park, which we will come to, and won one nil. Uh Kalajic, the six foot eight monster that he brought in last year. But missed a season through injury. Um, come up with a late winner because Jordan Pickford can't get his head, hands above six foot six. Um, just asked the Devokarigi in the crossbar, and then the last game um, in the league was a three-two defeat to Wolves, which you know can't imagine was on many people's to watch list. A Roy Hodgson Warrior Crystal Palace team versus a Wolves team, um, but. You know, it was a super Sunday game when we were overlooked, I think, for the TV for that one. Um, you know, maybe goals proved right in the end for, for the TV producers, but I wouldn't say that they're in five form. You know, one win from four. Um, they did get through the Carabao Cup with a 5 no home win against Blackpool. So I would say they're not the strongest team. We have struggled there in the past, but as we've said earlier on, I think our, our attacking um Talents would probably see us through, regardless of the issues we have at the back. If you know, with Allison's between the sticks, you'd always give yourself more than a fighting chance because, yeah, he is the best keeper in the world. And if if Canate is back and and Matip and Gomez can, you know, if, if that is the the makeup of the back forward, Robertson can put in a performance like he did against Villa, which was was very very calm, very composed, very professional. Um, I, I can only see one outcome in this game, and it's a Reds win. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. 
or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, I think that like they would to me like the back four in that game, it kinda like they stepped up a bit, like not not quite the same, but when when you see the back four step up when the goalie's been sent off and the left back's had to go in goal or something, everyone suddenly plays better and everyone suddenly defends better and it feels like, you know, I mean we recovered you know, we, we kinda recovered from sending these off by playing better and we recovered from being our, our main defender down by playing better as well. And I thought, you know, there was something to be said about that. Um, you know, it's a good sign. I wish we'd just do it when we haven't got that player missing, you know, make sure that you put the same kind of performance in even when you haven't got Van Dyke at the side of you to kind of make things a bit easier for you. I can imagine how much better you'd be if you if you played well. But that 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 to me says that Wolves the, the test that Wolves are putting in front of us, um I don't think we need to kind of play that game with one eye on what's coming next because I just hope I'm not going to be sort of tempting Faye by saying that. But next after Wolves is another trip. Um, over to Austria to um, a team called LASK or LASK I don't know if I don't even know what it stands for and I know very little about them but they're in Europe I know the LASK and they're from Linz <laughs> is that so, where the chocolates are made or is that no it's a different one <laughs> uh, there's chocolate Leibniz in there um, but yeah LASK of Austria um, by all accounts they've he rose, you know, through, through the ranks of Austrian football um, to, to challenge um, RB Salzburg and Sturm Graz as the you know the big two um, in Austrian football. Just have a look at this season: the, the eleven points from six games, um, third in the table. Salzburg at top, six six wins from six. That's um, more more than we had this time last year, after six games last year, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, but you know, they've only scored eight goals and conceded four. In, in those those games that they played in the league so far, um, so you know that they don't strike it as a as a high free scoring team. Um, you know they, they've they've racked up a couple of goals in, in the last few games in the in the Austrian div- division, um, and they have to come through a qualifying um, playoff to get into uh, the Europa League. But I think they they done they done okay last year. They had a, a decent run. Um, Mainly made up of a, a squad of younger players, which tends to just be the case with the um, Austrian football. You know, we, we know ourselves. We've had lads like Taki Minamino come straight from Salzburg, and you know, players like um, Sadio Mane has come through that sort of region of football, gone on to a bigger league and progressed. And you know, the, the um, Dominic Sabozlaz this world went through like Salzburg into Leipzig as a young player it tends to be a breeding ground for players to then go into Germany or Central Europe and then you know on to bigger and better things so I'd imagine we're, we're probably going to face a team full of young hungry players eager to make an impression so it, it should be a, a relatively decent test but as again with our squad quality we, we should be we should be seeing ourselves through this game and I think the emphasis is on winning the group in the Europa League because once you progress out the group stage the group winners bypass around um, and the running ups in the groups play the dropouts from the Champions League third place positions so it's within your 
benefit to try and win your group and sort of bypass that round of football over two legs, which probably comes around out the middle of February time. So, yeah, I think we we should have more than enough. And interesting to see um, a new team that we've we've not faced at Anfield before. And for those lads who who travel abroad, it's probably a new adventure and a new city to go and explore as well. Yeah, yeah, and everybody, even the ones who, who just collect all the pin badges. I mean, I don't know where you keep them all, but you know, those pin badges of all the different clubs we played down the years. You know, it's it's not very often nowadays that you get a new club to play because it feels like you know the the game's kind of closed in a bit more. You know, and there's not all these changes, and also, I mean, because of seeding and things like that. I mean, when when we used to play in the European Cup, when you had to be actual champions to go in it, we used to play, you know, all kinds of obscure teams. Um, because that's that's how it was. It wasn't anything like now where you kind of just get all the big names every year thrown in and every so often, you know, you think, oh, one of the big names he's missing, but they're only missing a year kind of thing. Um, hopefully that's us, by the way. Only missing a year from the Champions League. Um, yeah, this, this competition gives you more chance of playing more of these teams. And um, I mean, I just love a European night. And I think, you know, like you said, we what we don't want to do is set this up so that the last the last home games in the Europa League before Christmas are massive games that we have to win I'd rather it they were games where we're like putting out the kids that we mentioned earlier and just sort of trying some new things out getting players back to fitness if that's what we need maybe Thiago will be, be used by then because I'm not sure what's happened to him he seems to have had a setback with his injuries but um, we'll find out but European nights around field um, is still not going to be a European night around field when we do get to play the next game, we're still not going to have the full capacity that we should have hoped we'd have had by then. Um, but at least now, the club's made an announcement that the builders did finally go into administration and we found a new company to take over. So any any sort of information that you've heard about how long that'll take to be done, there's not really been a great deal given away, but it feels to me they weren't that close. They, they weren't that far off finishing it before the other company went out of business. So it feels it can't be that long now, surely. I would hope not, um, because my uh, my European tickets are housed <laughs> in the in the outfield up a road uh, up, up a stand. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm hoping to to be situation there. The the club did put out a statement um, for the Carabao Cup game, which is twenty uh, seventh, I think, because top of my head, yeah. September, home to Leicester. Um, that those those fans who got auto cup tickets. Um, with seats in the upper tier of the Anfield Road, um, can basically reapply for the seats to be somewhere else in the stadium. Um, right, but it, it's on a first come first uh, basis, which kind of tells me you know there might be a few people sadly missing out on that, which mm. which isn't ideal. Um, from my physical position on the cop in our last home game against Villa, the there seems to be more seats have been added into the Anfield Road over here, so um, there was small progress there. I'm guessing, you know, we've not got a home game until we play West Ham a week on Sunday. Um, I'd like to see more physical signs of progress in terms of what I can see um, from the end of the ground, but yeah, it's probably you'd imagine the infrastructure in terms of, you know, there's going to be hospitality available in there. They're going to want that, you know, available and up and running as soon as they can for the for the finances they make from that but also it's got to be it's got to be a safe structure inside for fans to get in facilities such as toilets and maybe yeah. a couple of food outlets available um, I'm going to I'm going to hope that that the stadium is fully functional and open you know b- before we get to like 
December time. I think the club's original plan before the previous construction firm um, fell into financial difficulty was they were hoping by the end of October, but there were plans to do a gradual opening. So um, the first three home games of the season, um, Bournemouth, Villa and West Ham, as you mentioned, comes up soon, were all basically ruled out as any upper tier capacity being in and then I think they were hoping for for a gradual phased open across the next few home games um, and eventually by the end of October um, there would be a a fully functioning stand so you know if we we factor in the home games in mind with with the derby um, and then Forest in October um, we've obviously now added in a a European date with with that Um, I can't I can't see it being being fully open for the Derby or Forest, um, and then that pushes us back into into November, where we've actually only got um, one home league game um, currently scheduled on the 11th for Brentford, and then the home um, European tie against uh, our our opponents on on Thursday week um, Lask, which is on the 30th of November. So I would I would probably pencil in the calendar Saturday the second at home to Fulham as a potential date you know as we look at that now that's probably given them the best book of about nine to ten weeks worth of work easily um, yeah. to, to try and try and squeeze in what's done um, and it'd be a nice Christmas present for, for the club and the fans and the players for everyone really involved to, to have that stand opening um, because we've got a couple of tasty games um, at Anfield you know in in the Christmas period I think you know we've got United um, visiting on the 16th Arsenal on the 23rd and then Newcastle on the 30th there three three huge games um, regardless of the form of them teams in the league um, at the at the current moment or how they may be shaping up at that time you know the the three three huge ties you know there's always there's always something going on to play for in them games so if they've got a full stand um, and a full ground available to them I think that would be probably you know the ideal Christmas present for everyone so of all of those fixtures, like the Everton game stands out as one that you would like to have had a full house, but, you know, it's a big game to us in the city. Obviously, we'll probably talk about it. I'm sure we'll talk about it more as we get there, but it's not the big game to the rest of the world, maybe, because they look at the Liverpool-Man United game. And in, in, in all honesty, as much as it is a big game to us, I suppose to the rest of the world, it looks like the Manchester derby did, say, 10, 15 years ago, when it was a big club who were doing well and challenging for things against a little club, effectively, you know, um, I'm not sure if that is 15 years ago, whatever it was, because it's not that long ago, really, that City didn't have all of that money and weren't winning all of those things and certainly were not the big team in Manchester. Um, Everton, it's been a lot longer since they were a team you could class as challenging for trophies. And um, it's a massive fixture for us. There's so much hype, so much passion. Um, Regardless of what's going on in the league table, it always means so much to win it. I and mean, luckily for us, mostly it's us who win it. Um, as you mentioned before, thanks to someone with short arms, some, short arms sometimes. Um, it's a massive game, but um, Everton, I mean, we, they, they've sort of been dwindling away. They've not won things for years, but we keep coming back to them. They're just, what's happening to them? Um, has there been any more updates? Last time we spoke, I think um, they'd managed, they just about managed to sign someone, um, just about managed to get someone over the line. And they'd managed to get the first point of the season now. In the two weeks that's followed, it sounds like they might be getting sold to someone. But then I saw a headline saying 
there's question marks over whether the people who might be buying them are classed as fit and proper. I mean, I didn't read the article because it was behind a paywall for the Telegraph, and I didn't bother. But um, there's a organisation called Seven Seven Part Seven 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 Partners, which sounds exactly like a gambling company because it's like the fruit machine, isn't it? Um, and there's concerns over the fit and proper owner rules. Yeah, it's it, in the nice of it was but sounds very yeah. <laughs> you know, we 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 found an investor and what who who are these investors? Well they're actually people who made the money on payday loans, um, which, you know, doesn't fill you with the whole lot of hope. Um, and when you when you actually take a little delve into them, I've had a little read on a couple of articles about these um ownership people, um, based in Miami, you know. Sort of gives you the Miami Vice sort of vibes, and yeah. not the not the cleanest people, you know, given how they made their cash. But they're, they're associated um, with multiple clubs, notably Standard Liège, uh, Genoa, and Sevilla in European football. They've got a couple of others as well on on the on the books. Um, but of those clubs, not one of them is making much. Or if any profit, if any back them, all of them are making a, a huge loss. Um, Everton themselves operating at a loss. Um, debts of over five hundred million. Uh, talk of about two hundred odd million still required to to finish that stadium, um, which is being built. Um, I'm sure Mr. Machiri probably wants you know some money in his back pocket for for what he's put in as well. Um, yeah, and the 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 fan bases of those clubs in, in question. Um, and not best pleased with how these owners are operating them, um, just being, you know, what what Manchester United fans would like to call a protest um, against, against them. Uh, I imagine there's probably more organised than what Man United do with the green and gold scarves. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, the, there's question marks. So you said rightly over the, the fit and proper pairs and test. Have they got the money? Is basically the main thing because the clubs they're currently involved in are not profitable and they don't seem to be you know stumping up much cash to keep them you know going in the right direction so therefore how have they got the possible funds to to buy out Everton um, with their asking price which is I think it's around about six seven hundred million quid and they're looking for um yeah it's it it begs the question is is this what you really want um you know the, the lad in machine you've got at the moment, you know, for all his, his faults, you, you can't fault the fact that he's, he's put the cash into the club. Um, you know, he's not being, you know, backwards in terms of his financial back into the club. It's just basically how the money's being spent, so it's not being spent very well at all. So, you know, they, they've got a little bit of hope in this lad. They've got a front called Beto, who just looks like an absolute battle ram um, of a human. Um, and probably really suits their sort of you know agenda in terms of you know playing ugly let's get all snarly and let's look it up to the big man and you know get get players in and around them and see what we can do and you know it, it might work for them in a few games but you know in a, in a league that's got a lot better sort of standards of football in the 90s when they're dogs of war we're, we you know we're keeping them good in the league I can't see how it's going to sustain them very well in the long run um, I think they're in for a long gold season and yeah we've got 34 league games left um, I think they're still in the Carabao Cup but they've been drawn away to Villa and um, the current trophy weight is 28 years I don't think they're going to win a league can't see them getting past Villa in the Carabao um, 
So we had the, all, all, all eggs in the FA Cup basket or it would then become 29 years since the last trophy and I'm sure when they do come to Anfield if it's not a full house the however many thousand there um, of a red persuasion we'll soon remind them that 1995 was the last time that they held a shiny possible of their heads. It's mad to think how many people have been born since Everton last won a trophy. You know, it's, um, it's just it's just never ending this way. I mean, we was, felt bad it was how long it was since we'd won the league, but with them, you know, it haven't won anything in a in a country where you know people. I mean, and even Evertonians, you've heard, you've heard them. So we won the league cup, and they go, "Ah, it's just a Mickey Mouse cup." It's like, how would you know? It's a long time since you've been near any kind of trophy. Seven 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 own um, a stake of you know varying amounts in Sevilla, Genoa, Vasco da Gama, Standard Liège, Red Star, Melbourne Victory, Hertha Berlin, and then they've also got um, some basketball stakes as well. Um, I mean, in Sevilla, it's only a 15% stake, but Standard Liège, it's a 100% stake in them. So it's, as you say, Red Star, 100%. Um, Red Star in France, that is. Melbourne Victory, minority stake. And again, another sort of totally Everton thing, though, is like we were saying before that I'm not a fan of things like Manchester City's owners owning lots of clubs around the world because it starts making you wonder what's going on with the cash. Are they, are they doing certain things with it to make it look good or look different to what it really is? Um, Newcastle United, another one, you know, they, they own Newcastle and half of the Saudi League and whoever else they own. Um, you know, I don't think you should have these people being allowed to have. Uh, multiple ownerships in clubs because they, you know, it's totally against how football's supposed to work, especially if they're ever playing in the same competitions, which maybe clears Everton because they're not likely to be playing in Europe for a while by the looks of it. Um, but, you know, it's just typical Everton that they go and get someone that falls into the same kind of categories we've just mentioned with the Saudis and, and with City's owners and so on, and yet they get this lot who probably haven't got that kind of money at all. Um it's going to be interesting to see what happens to them. The other thing as well is, which makes me wonder why the, this is one of the reasons Mishir is trying to push out as well, though, is that they've got this, um, they've got to face the FA. I think it's next month for this um, financial fair play breach. Um, I mean, they're saying they're innocent and they've done nothing wrong, but I can't help but feel that um, there's going to be a fine that if he's gone before that happens, that they're going to kind of say, yes, this was the old regime. We've all changed now. We wouldn't do this. Uh, as you know, um, now but, it all makes sense, you know. But they'll still get—I reckon they'll still get a transfer embargo. So, very Everton, they finally get some money put into the club, and they can't spend it. <laughs> it would—it would be acceptable, often, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, you know, basically the huge carpet that we can brush this under. Um, it does make more sense now why they're probably pushing because there was a, a previous investor which basically fell through, and that was MSP Capital. Um, who were looking to um, invest into Everton and that sort of collapsed about four or five weeks or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know the payday loan guys. You know it just it just strike, strikes a bit, doesn't it? Um, you know we we really need somebody. We really need the fast. Um, you know, let's get it in, but let's take the hit at what it's going to cost us in the long term. You know, if that's you know transfer embargoes and whatever, then then we'll take our chance and and see how it rolls. But. Um, I wasn't aware that it it basically armed me with a tool now to when I <laughs> when I have a chat with a few Evertonians as to their their means of you know wanting this investment. So yeah, you, you've done me a little bit of a favour there with that one. Well, there's always something with them, isn't there? There's always something to find. Um, anyway, for us though, I mean, you know, as much as we like to laugh at them, um, 
as I think I said last time, laughing at them is one thing, but laughing at them when it's not going great for yourself, it's a kind of diversion, cheers you up a bit. But we're doing well. I'm enjoying what I've seen so far from Liverpool. As you say, we've come off to a much better start than we did last season by the international break, even if you sort of factor in the different number of games. We've, we've already got more points than we had after six games last year, after four. Um, European football's coming back. Um, the Carabao Cup's coming up soon again, although it's Leicester. Why do we always see spend up against Leicester? Anyway, it's it's the season's getting back again. The international break is gone, at least for a couple of weeks, and it's back to us watching the game again. So um, we'll, we'll be back soon, hopefully not too long off, and we'll have games to talk about then that we've played as well as games to look forward to. But as always, thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Jay for being here, and we will see you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.